<laughs> good morning, everybody. Boy, you look good this morning. Oh, my gracious. Praise the Lord. It's always good to be with church family. It is like church family. It's like reunion every Sunday, right, when we get to see each other. I know that as I'm coming in today, I'm beginning to um, welcome some folks back who've maybe been sick and out for a period of time, and so we're praising the Lord that you're doing better physically, um, and I see you here. Praise the Lord for that. Um, Jimmy, continuing to pray for Vicki this morning, so as I see you, I'm thinking of her and praying that she's staying safe as she's going through um, treatments. Jewel, Neil, Jewel, we've been praying for you, dear sister, and the, and the home going of your sister as well. Um, I'm just reminded as we come into the building, you know, we're down here in the, uh, in the basement. Soon we will be up in the, the new space or the renovated space, but we need to be praying that those deadlines will be met, right? So we're hoping to be in by Easter, so pray for that. We've also been reminded about the Annie Armstrong Easter offering, if you would pray about that as well. And we have the Easter festival that's coming up, a great outreach to our community that's happening so if you're thinking of ways to be praying this morning, I just wanted to, to let you know this is some things that the Lord has laid on my heart. So I just kind of write it down and let's, let's be in prayer today for, for those needs and even more. Well, you know what season it is, right? I mean, it's, it's spring. Tim has already shared with us that in, at 11, what time do we need to stop and just thank the Lord for spring? 11, what? 11.33. If you all will hang around until 11.33, we'll do that. Um, but it is March Madness. You know what that means? It's basketball season, right? So it's March Madness for some. It's March Sadness for others. And if you're like Pastor James, who went to see his team play, even though he chose the wrong region to go watch them play, that's how March Madness becomes March Sadness, right? But it's still March gladness because his team is still in the tournament, right? So Arkansas, Arkansas is still winning. So we're, we're grateful for the opportunity for James to be with some friends that have planned that trip for a while. But you never know uh, if your team's going to make the tournament or where they're going to be playing. So we know that they're having a good time of fellowship this morning. We want to turn our attention, if you look at your screen this morning, are you a person God can use? And we're going to be looking at Joshua chapter 1 verses 1 through 9. Are you a person that God can use? And I've got to tell you, this hits personally for me. Uh, just to be honest with you, even though I was raised um, in a Christian home, I went to church every Sunday. I, I trusted Jesus at the age of, of nine. I had some wandering years through high school and college. And there's one here who can vouch for that this morning. Um, she was instrumental in me wandering, by the way. Um, but it was upon marriage that I began to get serious about my spiritual life. And I began to wonder if God could use a sinner, if God could use a hypocrite like me. And I knew at that point that I couldn't ride the coattail of my father-in-law, who was a, a pastor for over 50 years. God wanted to use me, and it took some years of convincing me that in spite of what I had done, in spite of who I was, in spite of my limitations, in spite of my excuses, he wanted to use me and that he could use me. My story is mild compared to this one, and I want to read this article to you this morning. I think you'll recognize the picture that's on your screen, if we can, can show this picture of Dabo Sweeney. 
See, I can show ACC coach while the pastor is away, right? <laughs> Forget the SEC. This is ACC territory, right? But Dabo Sweeney, head coach of the college football national champions at one time, Clemson Tigers, has been battling the odds his entire life. The article says this, while there might be greater coaches in college history, Sweeney is one of the most likable. Some coaches scowl, uh, Dabo smiles. Some intimidates, Dabo integrates. Some coaches prowl the sidelines, Dabo dances in the locker room. So some coach with an iron fist, Dabo coaches with a compassionate heart. Because of the pitfall and path he traveled to get to a national championship game, you get the idea that Dabo, who is a devout Christian, is trying to save souls as much as he is winning games. When he was a teenager, he watched his father lose the family's appliance repair business and turn to alcohol. Family members tell the story of how Dabo would hide in the backyard or climb out of his bedroom window and, and, and sleep on the roof when his dad would come home drunk and so mean. The bank took the family home. The booze took the rest. Finally, Dabo's mother, Carol, filed for divorce when her youngest son was in the 11th grade. So the mother and son spent Dabo's senior year sleeping at homes of family and friends after being evicted from their apartment, falling behind on their rent. When Dabo Sweeney went off to college at Alabama, he actually took his mother with him, and they slept in the same apartment bedroom for three years. Dabo said, my dad was a great man and I loved him but he had some demons that he fought. He said he was tough to see, it was tough to see some of the things that I saw as a kid, but I believe that God doesn't save you from things, he saves you through things. Let me say that again. Dabo Sweeney says, I believe God doesn't save you from things, he saves you through things. I think everything that I have dealt with, especially once I became a coach, gave me great clarity on what the purpose of my life was. He grew up in rural Alabama. He actually crawled and begged for a chance to be a part of the Crimson Tide program. His father revered Alabama so much. More than 50 players started as walk-ons during Dabo's freshman season. He was one of two that survived the brutal regimen to, to be weeded out among the weak. I was one of the first of my family to go to college, Dabo said. I was one of those kids who watched the Bear Bryant show Every Sunday, every time Alabama played, I was listening on the radio. He said, I would fight if you talked bad about Alabama. So it was surreal for me to finally be introduced as part of the program. At first, I just wanted to be on the team. But then I wanted to gain some respect, he said. And then it was okay. I wanted to play. And then I wanted to get a scholarship. And I want you to know that he accomplished all of those things. He started his career as a crawl-on, and he ended up as a starting wide receiver in Alabama's shocking national championship victory over Dynasty. At the time, Dynasty heavily favored Miami Hurricanes in 1993 in the Sugar Bowl. And so how ironic, he's Clemson's head coach, and now year after year rivaling his old alma mater, Alabama, his school, the school that he loves and he looks up to. He went on to coach Clemson to its first national championship in 35 years. But coach 
Dabo Sweeney is still Dabo, a coach and a man who remembers where he came from. He said, even today, I ride by people's houses and I look at their gutters and I think to myself, man, I should just knock on their door and ask if I could help them clean them up. This is an ordinary man who overcame extraordinary odds and who was and still is being used by God to influence young lives much like his very own. What a great story. Here's another ordinary man that you might recognize that God uses and has used. And his name is Billy Graham, the most famous evangelist, spiritual advisor to many presidents, an ambassador of Christ, an ambassador of the United States. He's met with countless world leaders. Thousands, if not millions, have come to trust Jesus through the preaching of this man, a mere dairy farmer from North Carolina. Don't you see that God uses ordinary people like Dabo Sweeney and Billy Graham, and he empowers them and works in and through them to live and speak the gospel. And guess what? If he can use Dabo Sweeney and he can use Billy Graham, he wants to use you and he wants to use me. Throughout Scripture, we see that God uses imperfect people for the sake of his mission. I never quite understood why Jesus chose the people that he did, but I don't have to understand what sovereign, almighty God chooses to do. He, he didn't call the popular and the rich or the successful to further his ministry, but rather he chose the poor and the broken and the faithful. I can only imagine how confused the Pharisees and the religious leaders must have been in that day, looking at the team that, that Jesus put on his team, put together for his team. I think about people that God used like Abraham, who was old. That means God can still use me and some of you, right? Abraham, Elijah was suicidal. Joseph was abused. Job went bankrupt. Moses had a speech impediment. Gideon was afraid. Samson was a womanizer. Rahab was a prostitute. Samaritan woman was divorced. Noah was a drunk. Jeremiah was young. Jacob was a cheater. David was a murderer. Jonah ran from God. Naomi was a widow. Peter denied Christ. Martha worried about everything. Any warriors in the room? Zachariah, uh, uh, Zacchaeus, I'm sorry, was, <laughs> Zacchaeus was a little short dude, right? The disciples, they fell asleep while praying. Paul, a Pharisee who persecuted Christians before becoming one himself, God used all of these people, and it didn't matter where they were from, what they had done, or who they used to be, Jesus used all people, all of these, to accomplish his purpose. If you are like me, I've often wondered, what are the qualifications that the Lord looks for in the life of a man or woman that he can use? Well, this morning, we can find at least seven of these qualifications, seven of these qualities through the life of Joshua. And that's why we're looking at Joshua chapter 1, beginning with verse 1, and looking for these qualities, these characteristics of a person that God uses. God's word this morning from Joshua. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, saying, Moses, my servant is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all of this people, to the land which I am giving to them, the children of Israel. 
Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given you, as I said to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, and to the great sea toward the going down of the sun, shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and of good courage. For to this people you shall divide as an inheritance the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, that you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may prosper wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid, nor be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. What a great passage. Let me give you some background and context here. We're talking about the best of times, and at the same time, we're talking about the worst of times. This is certainly the statement that certainly is applicable to Israel during the time described in the book of Joshua and Judges and Ruth. The Israelites enjoyed the best of times in that they had finally possessed the promised land. After 430 years in Egypt, 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, and fierce fighting in which many of their family members and friends had died, they had finally made it to the promised land. So that's the best of times. But at the same time, it's the worst of times because this period was known as the Dark Age. While Joshua and the Israelites controlled the promised land from the north to the south and east to the west, enemies threatened their very existence. So while the Israelites had room to live, they had very little room to expand. So while survival might require no additional effort whatsoever, to expand would require a heroic initiative. So Joshua succeeded Moses. He becomes Israel's leader during this boisterous time. He led, Israel, he led the Israelites out of Moab across the Jordan River and into the Promised Land. So Joshua had this military mindset. With the conquering of the centrally located cities of Jericho and Ai, he divided the Promised Land into halves. After that, he conquered the southern half, the cities around Jerusalem, before turning his attention to the north city of Hazor. Once the land was conquered, Joshua then divided it among the 12 tribes. So the Israelites remained faithful to the Lord throughout Joshua's lifetime under his leadership. So what is so special about the successor of Moses? What can we learn from Joshua, the one who God chose to use? Well, here are some of those qualities I believe we hear in this passage, these characteristics that God can use. First of all, God uses weak people. Weak people. I think you have your green sheet this morning. That one's given to you, so that's a little cheat sheet, right? So weak people who recognize that they can do nothing without God's power. I can do all things through Christ, but without Christ, I can do nothing, right? So in Joshua 1, God told Joshua to be strong and courageous. He actually says this three times in four different verses. Why does he say that? It's probably because he knew that Joshua was afraid, and understandably so. 
Moses, who's been the leader, is now gone. He has died. Now God has raised up Joshua to lead the people of Israel, and he didn't feel adequate for the task. By the way, this says to me something. It's not a bad thing to discover that we're weak. It's not a bad thing. In fact, it's quite good. Warren Wiersbe said, you can never be too small for God to use, only too big for God to use. When we think of Elijah, we generally think of powerful miracles that he performed. No doubt he was one of the greatest miracle-working prophets of all. He raised the dead. He stopped the rain. He called fire down from heaven. This is the kind of guy you want to invite to your cookout or to an outdoor wedding, right? The Bible tells us that Elijah was a Tishbite from Gilead. That means very little to us, right? But it's important for us to know that Gilead was east of the Jordan River. The people who lived there were rough. They were tanned from the sun. They were tough. He would have dressed in animal skins. We know Elijah as a man who was bold and courageous. He was fearless. So when we hear a story like Elijah's, we might say, well, what does this have to do with us? And yet the Bible tells us in the book of James that Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. The New Living Translation says that Elijah was as human as we are. So sometimes Elijah seems like he's Superman, but in fact, he really wasn't. He had moments of great fear. At one point, he was so despondent that he wanted to give up. He wanted to die. I don't know about you, but Maybe there's been a time in in your life that you wanted to throw in the towel, that you wanted to raise the white flag of surrender. You got burned out. Maybe you couldn't see an end to the means. Maybe that's you today. That was Elijah, you all. So here's the good news. God can use flawed people. He can use imperfect people. God can use people who are weak, at times weak, at times strong. It seems as though God goes out of his way to find people like that. Why do you think that is? I think it's because if God only used super talented, beautiful, handsome people, we would say there's no hope for us. But when God uses the person who's pretty much like us, we know there's hope. There's hope. God has chosen the foolish things of the world, the Bible says, to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. So God uses what kind of people? Weak people. Okay, we need some participation this morning. Number two, God uses, fill in the blank, faithful people. Faithful people who are faithful to the Lord. Joshua had been Moses' helper, or as the New King James Version says, that he was Moses' assistant. Joshua was the guy who was there to help Moses get the job done. He had been born in Egypt along with Caleb. He would be, only, he would be the only Israelite from the great exodus to survive the wilderness wandering and make it into the promised land. So that shows you that Joshua was a faithful man and worthy successor to Moses. We're blessed here at Red Lane to have Pastor James as the very one that God has chosen to lead us for his purposes. 
He's the man that shares God's word and vision with us. But there's also others behind the scene that help carry out the vision. Did you know that statistically, it is more difficult to find a number two or number three guy in church leadership than it is to find a senior pastor? And when churches find associates and elders who are right, the right helpers or assistants to the pastor, it's a beautiful relationship to watch. So you did see Ricky over here today, right? Who is an associate who comes alongside behind the scenes, help carry out the mission. And I guess we'll say <laughs> Nate as well. <laughs> and we have elders as well. But it's a beautiful partnership to watch. The associate is faithful to the Lord and to his superior. He will do anything to help his pastor and the church succeed. He's got the pastor's back. He can always be counted on even before asking. I can just picture this relationship between Moses and Joshua. And God is preparing this servant who has proven himself faithful to succeed Moses when he dies. So God doesn't necessarily use people who are out in front, people who are on the stage in the limelight, but rather he uses faithful people, those who are faithful to him and those in authority over them. So God uses what kind of people? Weak people, and he uses faithful people. Good. God also uses biblical people, people who study and practice the word. God told Joshua, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night. So if we want to be used by God, then we need to, to, to know the word of God. Meditate on it day and night. Now, the word meditate means to ponder, to consider, to contemplate. So reading it for some mere exercise to say that we've read it and to check it off or to say that we've read the Bible through in one year and to check it off, it's not what God is commanding of Joshua and his people. He says to meditate on the word. Meditating on something takes time. And I don't know about you, but I'm not a speed reader to begin with. I remember in school some people that could just glance at something and then they could instantly recall it. I don't have that photographic memory. Instead, I have to read something and reread it and then process what it means before it starts to sink in this skull of mine and settle into my brain. So if I ever made good grades, it took me twice as long to get them. Sometimes I would have to read and then think about something for a while and rethink it and overthink it. And sometimes my score is reflected that I didn't think very well. So in order to be used of God, we have to be more than readers of the word. We have to be meditators of the word, allowing the Holy Spirit to bring clarity, to bring conviction, and to bring application to our lives. And it takes time to meditate and ponder and consider and contemplate God's word. So God said to Joshua, meditate on God's word during the day while you are awake, but also at night while you are asleep. So if I am constantly meditating on God's word during the day, there's a greater likelihood that I will also dream about God's word in the night. Does that make sense? Anybody ever have bad dreams or nightmares? Anybody? Some people think it comes from what you eat. Others say it is stimulated by what you were thinking during the day, what was on your mind when you went to bed. 
So if that is the case, I want to dream about God's word because I have been meditating on it all during the day. Does that make sense? So God uses weak people. He uses faithful people. He uses biblical people. Fourth, he uses patient people. Patient people who wait on the Lord and his timing. Now, imagine wandering around in the wilderness for 40 years. And finally, you're on the edge of entering into the promised land. And then God says, pass through the camp and command the people saying, prepare provisions for yourself for within three days, you will cross over this Jordan to go into the promised land. I mean, after all, what is three days after you've been waiting for 40 years, right? But that's easier said than done. I, I, I don't like waiting. I, I'm an impatient person. As a matter of fact, when I get blood work before treatments, I want to get the results on my chart before the doctor sees it so that when the doctor comes in to talk to me, I'm ready to have conversation and to ask what I think is intelligent questions. Not so intelligent, but try to fool them. I can't wait for the doctor. I want to know myself as soon as possible. I mean... Are you that way? I mean, don't, don't look at me like I'm crazy because I know that as soon as your phone pings, you're going to be looking at the text, right? So what about the biblical example of being anxious for nothing? Lord, how I need to possess all of the fruits of the Holy Spirit, but I don't know about you, but I need an extra helping of patience. Folks, if we're going to be used by God, we need to learn to wait on God's perfect timing. Joshua could have easily said to God, God, Moses is getting old, and I'm not sure that he's capable of leading us into the promised land. So why don't you go ahead and have him step down and let someone else lead? I mean, we see this happening today, don't we? We see it happening in churches and ministry. We see it happening in the corporate world. We see it happening in the workforce. Thankfully, that's not what Joshua did. He waited on God and his perfect timing. And it was out of this obedience, this faithfulness and patience that God called on Joshua to lead the Israelites into the promised land. That's the kind of person that God can use, a patient person. Let's see, what number are we on? What number? Five. Good. Somebody said four. They're already behind. All right, here we go. God uses evangelistic people. Evangelistic people who have a heart for the lost. There was a lost soul to be saved before the Israelites entered into the promised land, and her name was Rahab. God would not judge Jericho until Rahab had been reached and told them what to do to avoid this judgment that was coming when the Israelites attacked. I was in a staff meeting recently when one of our team leaders who also pastors a local church, he shared with us that a young man had just contacted him that very morning to say that he wanted to be saved. And the pastor said, do you know how many times that I have prayed and shared the gospel with this young boy and now this man? He said, too many times to tell, but we never gave up. We never gave up. You you see, God's heart always is to save people. 
Every soul is precious to him. God always cares about individuals that he created and that he sent his son to die for. As a matter of fact, we learned a few weeks ago that God loves people more than anything, right? And so should we. I told this story at a church revitalization works, workshop recently. Uh, people were asking for some ideas about being more evangelistic as, as a church. And I told them about a church that I had visited in Bristol, Virginia. It was a relatively new building, uh, had an open for you. You went to the left, you went to the worship center, to the right, you went to the education part of the building. As I walked into the worship center, there's rows of chairs, there's the stage, lighting. As I began to worship, I noticed to my left and to my right on the walls, there was graffiti. So I asked the pastor about this graffiti. He said, oh, that's not graffiti. That's the names of people we're praying for to be saved. We'll, we'll take their names off when they surrender in God's time. And see, I thought I walked in, I thought they were sacred walls. And the pastor said, what does it cost to paint over these walls is small in comparison to what it cost Jesus, what he paid the price for the names that are written on those walls. Folks, if you want to be used of God, you have to be equipped and prepared and willing to start conversations. Conversations that lead to spiritual conversations, that leads to gospel conversations, and keep sharing, keep praying until the Holy Spirit leads that person to Jesus. Never, ever give up. And you know there are people in your family, your neighbors, the workplace, in the school that need Jesus. Don't give up. You know, as a church, uh, Pastor James led us through uh, this tool that's called Three Circles Gospel Conversation. Um, I just wanted to let you know that Jimmy Scroggins, who is the author of that tool, is going to actually be with us in Virginia on March the 29th at the Heights Baptist Church in Colonial Heights. And I would encourage you, if you have that Tuesday, if you want to be equipped and prepared, you want to be the kind of guy and girl that God can use and you want to be trained to share the gospel, I would encourage you to participate on March the 29th. All right, so if that was number five, God uses evangelistic people, that means we are at number... Oh my goodness, you're going to pass with flying colors. He uses sanctified people, which really means people are set apart for his purpose. That's what sanctification is. Joshua told the people in chapter 3, Sanctify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. The word sanctify means to set yourself apart, to live a holy life. It comes down to this. If you want to be used by God, then you will want to live a life that is right before Him. A life that looks like Jesus. A life that sounds like Jesus. A life that thinks like Jesus and does like Jesus. Now, are you going to be perfect? Absolutely not. He, he is we aren't and never will be, but we need to be someone who is attempting to live a godly life. God uses sanctified people. Number seven, here we go quickly. This is what Pastor James says. I got to hurry up, and it doesn't mean a thing. <clears throat> God uses team people, team people who value 
and work well with others. A good leader will communicate with and encourage the people on their team. That's what Joshua did. He called the people together, he huddled them up, and he encouraged them. They were about to undertake a very difficult God-sized task. It was going to take faith. He was saying to the people, hear what God is saying to you, and let's move forward. At that moment, Joshua was communicating with the people. He said, God has called me to be your leader, and he's encouraging them to get on board. We can accomplish this together. He's a cheerleader. Tonight, some of us, or this afternoon, will be watching the NCAA basketball tournament. A key player on the basketball team is the point guard, who technically demands the floor, runs the plays. But in order for the team to be successful, it requires the height of a, of a center, center, <laughs> not a center, it requires some good shooting guards who can score, and everyone needs defensive skills. But the point guard cannot do it all on his own. It takes a team. And that's why you hear humble players, that's why you hear MVPs say, I couldn't do what I do without my teammates. That's what I love about Tony Bennett, UVA basketball coach, who instills in his players that we're not going to have this me attitude, but instead we are a team. We are a family. We're working together to succeed. And that's why you very seldom see them scoring a lot of points individually. They have unselfish play, and they pass the ball to get the best shot possible by their teammates. Have you ever heard that there's no I in team? I mean, how do you spell team? T-E-A-M, Right? which stands for together, everyone accomplishes more. Team, together, everyone accomplishes more. There's no I in team. So to be used by God, we need to be good team players moving in the same direction together to reach the prize, the goal line, the victory that is ours through Jesus. So when God looks for someone to accomplish his purposes on earth, the kind of man or woman that he's looking for as ordinary people like you and me who are weak, faithful, biblical, patient, evangelistic, sanctified, and team player. God uses ordinary people like Dabo Sweeney and Billy Graham and Joshua like you and like me. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word today. Thank you for the encouragement that you do want to use us, ordinary people that you have created and recreated by your Holy Spirit to empower us and equip us to do your work. So today, during this time of invitation, I pray that you would speak to us as you challenge us yet again this morning. Thank you for the example of Joshua. Thank you for these qualities in his life. May we aspire to have these same qualities because they are a reflection of you. We love you. We thank you. Help us now to be obedient to what you're asking us to do in Jesus' name. We trust that you and your family have been encouraged and blessed today. If you have just made a decision to follow Jesus, 
or if you would like to pray with someone, or even if you want to know more about our church, please contact our church office or send us an email. We are looking forward to seeing you next week here in person or online. See you then.